0: Welcome to the Chronify podcast. This is Ben Miller. Today's episode is about when to change your mind and when and how to stand firm. Before we get to that, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe. And if you're downright loving it, sign up for Chronify. Now let's get to the episode. Today's episode is titled, The Power of Accountability. We're going to start off with two quotes. Quote number one, well, when events change, I change my mind. What do you do? That's Paul Samuelson. No facts are to me sacred. None are profane. I simply experiment an endless seeker with no past at my back. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. I don't have anything against tattoos, but I'm confident they're not the right choice for me. I've witnessed enough cycles within my own life where if I would have gotten a tattoo, I know what it would have been, and I would later have been embarrassed to have that tattoo, or would have a hard time letting myself think something incongruent with the content of my tattoo. Psychologists have a fancy term for this. It's cognitive dissonance. It's much harder to change your mind when you're on the record for having a certain goal, opinion, or stance. The bottom line is you can hear in the quotes that began the article, is that I think that changing one's mind is an eminently respectable thing to do. I haven't always thought this way, but the more my mind matures, the more nuance I'm grudgingly willing to admit into my mental model of the world. Just like most things in life, in this realm there is a ditch on both sides of the road. You can certainly be too stubborn or too set in your ways. This is what it means to be closed-minded. However, take the opposite to its extreme and you're left with an even less satisfying result. If you blow past open-mindedness all the way out to capriciousness, you're left selfless and not in a good way, endlessly reacting to whichever way the wind blows with no backbone to anchor you in place. Last week, I had the privilege of making a new friend. It doesn't happen often at this stage of life, though this past year has been wonderful in that respect for me personally. In the course of our first discussion, he brought up the fact that a little while into his career in banking, he sent an email to his parents describing his plans to get out of banking in the near future and do something that more closely aligned with his values. I was dumbstruck. That's how I knew we'd be friends. This guy had the foresight a decade ago to know where he wanted the ball to go and the self-awareness to know in real time that his then-present track was not his always and forever. Not only that, but he expressed his thoughts in writing. It reminded me of a conversation I had with a great friend a couple of years into my career where I basically told him that if I was still a trader at 32, he should grab me by the collar and make me justify myself. I could hear the siren song of more money far off in the distance, and I wanted to set some barbs to make it difficult for me to get sucked in. But this new friend did it in writing, which takes a special kind of courage. There's a common theme here, and that's the fact that going on the record about your intentions can help with follow-through. Why? Because it feels shameful to express a forceful opinion only to reverse yourself down the line. If I'm being honest, that's why I'm afraid to get a tattoo. If it was about something meaningful to me, I would feel too embarrassed to change my mind. Or if I did have the stones to change my mind, I'd feel embarrassed about paying for removal of that tattoo when I like to think I'm a reasonably frugal person. This prospect of shame is also why accountability is so effective in achieving outcomes. We declare our goal to lose weight, we have a public marriage ceremony, or we tell a loved one what our career ought to be about. In each one of these cases, we're essentially blackmailing ourselves into adhering to our values. We know it might not always be easy to stick with our commitments, whether they be to our bodies, to our spouses, or to our souls, but that's precisely why we apply some leverage through a trusted third party. So how can we merge these two seemingly disparate points of view into one coherent whole that is how can we know when it's time to remain committed and when it's time to move on first we need to acknowledge that just as our past selves were wrong about what our present selves would want our present selves are wrong about what our future selves will want that doesn't necessarily mean completely and utterly wrong just not quite right i for one am glad that i didn't get a power rangers tattoo when i was five Five-year-old me had a lot of growing up to do before he made big decisions about which Power Ranger was the one to embed in his skin, but it was always going to be the blue one. I'm also glad that 22-year-old me didn't get Who is John Galt tattooed on his chest, but that's a different story. The point is, our desires change with time. That makes commitment an inherently risky endeavor. I recently finished a book called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Thanks for the gift, Dad. One of the more profound parts of the book for me related to Brooks's contention that while the first phase of life for many of us is about cutting ties and establishing our individual identities, the second phase of life is about creating bonds in the form of commitments. While it may be satisfying to the ego to be a self-made man imbued with the powers of agency and self-determination, that's just a stage. If you believe Brooks, and on this point I do, Beyond that, there's a point where commitments are not hindrances to our achievements, but instead are the very essence of our most important achievements themselves. Commitments are those single choices that eliminate the need for many future choices. They're a way of instating a policy in our lives that reduces the decision fatigue that for me tends to roll in around 3.30pm every day. By forming and voicing meaningful commitments, we proclaim to our future selves that the desire we enshrine in a commitment is not taken lightly, but requires and deserves some sort of break-the-glass catalyst to provoke a policy reversal. That was yesterday, this is today, is not sufficient in these cases. We owe it to our current selves, and our current desires, to establish a pattern of honoring the commitments of our prior selves. Otherwise, everything we value and achieve today is ephemeral, since we know that our future selves are likely to be just as willing to abandon our present aims. Okay, enough with the philosophical pretzel brain exercises. The point is this. If you want to live an intentional life, it's important to form commitments. Commitment is scary, but it's also necessary. But when we choose commitments, we have to do so deliberately and reasonably. If your commitment is, when I grow up, I want to be a superhero, you have a bit more thinking to do. When you're thinking about making a commitment, you owe it to yourself to consider why you are making that commitment. What purpose is it serving? If you want to be the welterweight champion of the world, are you doing it to get in shape, to make dad proud, to get rich? This is where we distinguish between intrinsic value and instrumental value. Intrinsic value belongs to something that's valuable in and of itself. Think happiness, flow, love, fulfillment, things like that. Instrumental value belongs to something that helps you to get something with intrinsic value. If you make a commitment to something with intrinsic value, it's far more likely to endure changes in circumstances. The classic example would be some version of happiness. While they should be committing to some form of happiness or satisfaction, contentment, joy, or what have you. Many people make commitments to money because it's more objectively measurable than happiness. But money is the classic example of instrumental value. Unless you're extremely short on firewood and it's cold outside, money has no intrinsic value. Making a good commitment involves knowing your why. If you don't know your why, you'll have a hard time choosing which commitments to make in the first place and a hard time on the back end knowing which commitments to honor. Well-made commitments are those that appeal to intrinsic values. When you're making a commitment, you want to be confident that it's directed towards something that is central to your enduring sense of self. In doing so, you make it a lot easier for your future self to honor the commitment. You should also be clear about why you're making that commitment and how it's going to help you achieve your values. If you set an exercise goal so that you can be a healthier and better you for your kids and then wind up injured and too worn out to play with them, You're putting the instrumental value of exercising ahead of the intrinsic value, which was health and well-being. So we know two things, that it's good to change your mind to reflect new data, and that it's also good to make thoughtful commitments. If you take the time to make sure you're making the right commitment in the first place, it'll be that much easier to honor the commitment in the future. You can ask yourself, do I still value this why? And then also, Do I still believe this is the right how? My new friend identified a why that was bigger than his job, and a couple years after his commitment, he acted upon it. Ask yourself, what's important to you? And what commitments can you make today to see it come to fruition? Once you've thought about it, share it with someone you love and ask them to hold you accountable. It's a great way to increase your odds of following through, and they'll almost certainly be honored by your request.